Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 82 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, we are going to hear from a survivor. Her name is Robin. Welcome to the podcast, Robin. Thanks, Natalie. I am so excited to be here with you. You totally have saved my life. Um, when I, I don't think I have that much power, but (laughs) Um, (laughs) thank you. Yeah. Yeah. When I first came upon your stuff on the, um, on the internet, um, your website, it was like, holy cow is like, there are other people out there like me (laughs) and your story is so similar. I mean, like all of ours are. Yeah. And so, but it was the first person I read that was like, wow, this Mm. is, this is a real thing. How long ago was that? It was almost two years ago. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was two years ago because I was in the second group of flying free. Um, when we were on Facebook, the second wave. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. A, yeah. It was the first thing I ever did for myself, like bought something. I mean, I buy things, but like that invested in me like self-development. Yes. Yeah. Self-growth. Yeah. That's awesome. That's super exciting. Yeah. Okay. So we want to hear about your story. Why don't you start by telling us how you met your husband? And I always like to ask if you saw any red flags just for people who might be starting over again, or maybe there are even single women who are listening and thinking, oh, I really want to make sure I don't <laughs> get into a relationship like that. Did you see any, did you notice anything? So I had no idea what a red flag was. I was... <laughs> 21 years old. Um, I was working in a casino dealing blackjack and going to college. And a friend of mine, a guy friend of mine that would come into the casino all the time and talk to me, he wanted to date me, but he was 14 years older than me and he was shorter than me. And so I kind of just brushed him off. He was just a friend. So then he brought in this guy and, um, we eventually started dating and whatnot, but I had no idea what a red flag was. And yes, there were some, um, we started dating three weeks after we started dating. He told me he loved me. Um, and it kind of came in a conversation like, yeah, I was talking to an ex-girlfriend of mine and she called and she wanted to get me back. And I told her that if I, went back to you and stopped dating Robin, it would be the biggest mistake of my life. And at that time I was like, wow, this guy really likes me. Right. I mean, it was three weeks and he told me he loved me. And then the other thing he would say to me was, um, you know, cause he was, I don't know, 26 at the time. I've been on my own for 26 years. I like to be by myself and, um, you know, I, I don't want to be smothered. And so I'm like, okay, fine. Well then every night he would call me, we lived about 20 minutes apart. He would call me. He's like, so are you going to come over? You know, do you want to go out for dinner? And I'm like, well, you told me yesterday that you didn't want, you know, you wanted your space. And so, but then in my 21 year old mind, I was like, wow, this guy really likes me. Sure. So yeah, there was that, um, anger had come out. He 
um, would shoe horses for people, friends. And I actually don't like horses because I've had some bad experiences with them. And there was one day he just got done shoeing um, a horse and got back to his apartment before we went out for dinner. And he had a message on his answering machine that the horse threw a shoe and he threw his keys on the floor and just like the whole line of cuss words, swear words came out. And I just looked at him like, um, are you, are you okay? But not even like realizing like this guy has an anger problem, right? Because don't we all get mad at things? And I'd be mad because I just worked my butt off and this, but then it happened, you know, not so much that first year that we were dating. We did get, we got engaged after six months. We got married after a year. Um, so yeah, there were red flags. One of them was, um, let's see the anger. Um, he was really disrespectful to his mom, but I had only met her one time and it was after we got engaged. She came up for the, uh, I think a week and he just wasn't that nice to her. But then I was kind of like, you know, I was always making excuses for his behavior. And so there was that, um, the whole sex before marriage, I was a virgin when I met him and it, we did have sex before we were married and it was all, well, we're getting married anyways. And so like the sexual coercion, I had no idea what that even was until two years ago. And so, yes, lots of red flags should have run, but I stuck with him because, yeah. you know, I can change him, right? I can heal his wounds. Right, right. Yeah. So so after you got married then, did was it pretty much the same stuff or were there were there any new things that were introduced into your relationship as far as abuse? Um, there were. Like right away, we had agreed that because I wanted a lot of kids. I wanted six kids and he only wanted two. So we made this agreement that you know, we'd have four kids and we would raise them in my church because he wasn't churched. And we used to call him a heathen. Um, and that was okay because, uh, my, my sister two years before that had married a Catholic. We're Lutheran. She married a Catholic. And that was like world war three in our family. (laughs) And so he came in and he wasn't anything. So everybody was like, so excited because of course we can bring him over to our side. Right. Right. And so, um, anyways, we made this agreement, but on four kids and I would get to raise them in my church and I agreed to move anywhere in the world, um, with his job. He works in an industry that's very small and you go to very remote places. Um, it's not missionary work. And so, um, that, that was our agreement. Well, like right after we get married, you know, people always ask you at the wedding, are you going to have any kids? And he started saying, you know, yeah, we're going to have a couple kids, but Robin's going to finish college first. And, um, then we'll have some kids like five years down the road. And I'm like, that's, that's not what we agreed to, but it was, we were newly married. So I just thought it was something that we had to work out right as a newly married couple. So then, um, we made a trip, um, South to his parents about a month after we got married and they threw a party for us. And, 
um, same thing was happening. And I was like, well, you know, we agreed to four kids. Well, you need to get done with school and you need to do this and you need to do that. So I just kind of brushed it off like, okay, again, married problems and I can change his mind. (laughs) So a couple months later, he had come back from a weekend at my parents and he saw how my family interacted, all the kids together, the nieces and nephews. And I actually had to stay and work that weekend. And so he came back and he was like, Robin, let's have kids. And I was like, what? You know, oh, sorry. For the last three weeks or three weeks, three months, you were like, we're not having kids for five years. Well, then all of a sudden now it was important to have kids. And so a couple months later, I got pregnant. I had our first baby was born just a little after the first year. Then the second baby came um, shortly after this. I was still going to school full time. Um, And so that was just, you know, an argument that we had. Well, then baby number two came and he was absolutely done. And um, I, we moved again. Um, We moved a lot, actually. We moved again for another job. Um, I ended up getting pregnant with the third child and he was not happy. And I will probably never forget that night Mm. that, because I thought I was actually dying. You know, I took five home pregnancy tests. They were all negative. We had just moved to a new place again. (laughs) And, uh, um, I went to the doctor, took a blood test, found out I was pregnant, told him that night and his answer um, to that was, um, I don't know how it, I mean, I don't want to say this out, out loud other because it, it's swearing, um, GD, um, Robin, I told you I didn't want any more kids. And that was his answer to that. Later on that night, I asked him, why don't you want any more kids? And he looked at me and he says, well, look at you, you haven't lost the weight from the first two. And that's when like I had known even before that, the first couple of years of marriage that then it started, you know, in on my weight and you have to, we used to go out and eat junk food, pizza, all that. And then all of a sudden it became, we have to get healthy and you have to look good. And, and so like that, the emotional abuse that comes with not being good enough and then keeping your house cleaned and, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much. So much. Yeah. So, so what did you, how did you cope? What did you, um, did you have any strategies that were helpful to you or? Um, I pretty much just shut down. Um, I did what I was told to do. Um, I made sure I had the house clean, especially when the kids were younger, when he came home from work. Um, I would, when, you know, the abuse cycle, like when he was getting bad and I, I would gain weight when he was getting bad because I used food to cope. And so I would gain weight and then it would, you know, we'd have this blow up and my weight would be talked about. And then, um, I would start losing weight again. And then all of a sudden life was good because I was looking good again. And so, um, but if there was anything that I needed to bring up emotionally with him, I had to make sure it was worth it for the, you know, um, like the emotional amount to, to put into it, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, 
to bring it up because if it wasn't worth it, it wasn't worth me getting yelled at or chewed out or just being ignored or whatever. Well, and Um, did anything ever get resolved anyway when you brought things up? Even if you did risk all of that, did, did you ever, were you ever able to solve any problems with him? No, no, because it would always be turned around as being my fault. Or he would always say, I would bury the hatchet, but leave the handle sticking out. Like, and I, again, never knew that this was abusive. Like I would bring up a certain whatever it was. And then maybe like a year later, I would bring up the same thing, but nothing ever was resolved. Yeah. And so then I just stopped talking about it. That's how I resolved it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll just do what he tells me to do. If he wants my shoes away from the front door, I'll put my shoes away from the front door or like even make my bed at night or in the morning. Mm -hmm. There would be days that I would run upstairs two minutes before he walked in the door to go make the bed just so he would not get mad. Wow. So you were kind of like, he was like your daddy and you were like the kid. Yeah. Always sure. walk, yeah. Always walking on eggshells. Yeah. I didn't even know what walking on eggshells was. I was very naive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, most of us were, we, yeah. we'd never, we didn't, we didn't have any training in any of this kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, kids yeah. don't, kids don't have any training these days either, but they're, they're getting more of it than we certainly did. And there's certainly lots of information on the online that, that people can look up, but okay. So I'm wondering, um, how did you, when, when did you start to realize, or when did it, did it just dawn on you one day? Was it a slow wake up call or how, how did you realize, wait a minute, there's something, there's something seriously wrong with this relationship and I got to figure out a way to either solve the problem or get out. Yeah. So almost four years ago, um, we were in a hotel. We lived overseas. We were in a hotel with our youngest and he raged at me because I, we were going out with friends and I suggested we go to a different hotel or different restaurant than what he wanted. And after that, I still did not know what was going on, but I had prayed that God would harden my heart. It was the worst thing I've ever done in my life, but I did because I was so tired of being hurt. I mean, we're talking Mm -hmm. now we've been married, um, I don't know, like 19 years or so. And so I told him when we got back home that he had six years left. And then I was done after our youngest graduated from high school. And he's, he kind of, well, he started talking to our pastor back in the U S and, and he, got his act together for a little bit, but then it just like, everything started getting worse. Like I started, well, I had always been since we moved overseas accused of sleeping with other men when that was never the case in his industry. It's high. There's like a high percentage of men that work in there. So when you're living in these remote villages, um, that's who you talk to. So you just become friends. It's a small expat community, you become friends with everybody but I would be accused of that. I would be accused of not being respectful enough, not loving enough. And, and so then over the next year and a half or so, it just, it just got worse. And then I got to where I started believing that God didn't love me. And, but I knew God hated divorce and I still never wanted to disappoint him, even though I didn't think he loved me. And, um, I knew my kids. I didn't want to hurt my kids and I didn't want to hurt my dad. I always was afraid of, of disappointing my dad. 
Well, then it got to where I started thinking about having an affair with another guy because something had to change. And I know this is so backwards thinking, but I figured if I had the affair, he could divorce me. And that way God would hate him and not me. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, I, oh my I, goodness. I can laugh at that now because, I mean, honestly, I knew better. But it just, I got that desperate. I didn't know what to do. I was living far away from my family. I would never tell them because they absolutely loved him. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. So it you got... Know, you know I just got to interrupt here and just say that, you know what's so fascinating about this? Is that in our Christian uh, culture, it's okay to have an affair. You can be forgiven for an affair. It's a, I mean, you could, you could be forgiven. <laughs> you yeah. could be forgiven for killing yourself. That's yeah. totally fine but never ever get divorced. Like that is the unpardonable sin. And so you've got all these women thinking about either killing themselves, killing their husbands or having an affair, but not thinking about the most logical, you know, solution, which is just get a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Divorce the jerk. (laughs) That was, that was the worst sin than being an alcoholic and abusing your wife. That was a worse sin. And like you said, um, having an affair, smoking, hiding your alcoholic. I mean, the other thing in my church was, um, the divorce or living with someone out of wedlock. Those two were the unpardonable sins. Everything else you could do. You could be, you could be a porn user. Yeah. And yeah. be okay with that. Because a lot right? of the pastors are. You know, yeah. I really think that, that the leaders are just projecting their own rules for themselves and subtly, unconsciously project or subconsciously projecting all of that onto the rules that they make for their, their churches. Yeah. That's I forget, my little theory. Well, there, I forget the numbers. It's either, it's 70% of men in churches are... Um, I'll say porn users. I don't know if that's the addiction number. And 50% of pastors use porn. Yeah. Um, yep. I've, I've actually unfortunately had to study porn a lot in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, so, well, and here's the other thing about that too. Sorry. <laughs> here's the other thing about that. When, when you are a person who is, you're watching porn on a regular basis, that you're dehumanizing. Uh, you're dehumanizing human beings. And when you start dehumanizing human beings, that's, that, that's become, that gets woven into your psyche and you start treating human beings in the way that you view them, which is, you know, dehumanized. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's, it's an awful thing. And again, this, this will play out later in my story in a little bit, but I had no idea, had no idea. So in this, this time when I was thinking of having an affair, I was praying so hard that God would give me a way out because that's what he says. He, you know, there's temptation in your life, but there will always be a way out. Well, what happened was there was a mini war around the village that we were living in and all the women and children had to leave. And honestly, that saved my life. That saved me from doing a thing I knew was totally wrong, um, but I had to figure something else out. So then um, it was um, three weeks after that um, we left, or I left. Oh, and at this time too, my kids were in boarding school 
And I know I said I wasn't going to get too detailed, but part of this has to be part of the story. So um, they were in boarding school and I went to stay with them. I then met um, my husband at the time, um, three weeks later and in the hotel, I just knew that it was time to do something because I could no longer have sex with this man. And mostly because he suggested we use a condom during the middle of sex. We had never used a condom before in our married life. He had a vasectomy after the last child was born. And I, again, had no idea what was going on, but I just couldn't take it anymore. And a couple weeks later, I told him that. And that's when the accusation was, I know you're effing one of them. And then I also got, we need to do counseling. And I got the, um, you know, if, if we end this marriage, then, you know, the next one's just going to have as many problems as this one. And I was just at that point, not listening to him. And, um, I decided just to get out of the conversation. I agreed to counseling, which was probably one of the best choices of my life. Um, because I did get the help that I needed eventually, um, I also agreed to meet with our pastor. And so a month later, um, because there was some traveling in there, I talked to my pastor for the first time and I told him all the stories. I mean, we were on the phone hours and he's the one who told me, Robin, you know, you've been in an abusive and destructive marriage. And I honestly said to him, I'm like, no, I haven't been. He's never hit me. Hey there. I want to break in here for just a second to let you know that the Flying Free Education and Support Program is opening up again on September 28th, 2020 for new registrants. Flying Free is a comprehensive program for women of faith in emotionally and spiritually destructive relationships and faith communities. We offer classes, weekly coaching, expert workshops, live events, a private forum, and so much more. The best part about it is that while it offers a huge value for women of faith, it's totally affordable and it's only open every six months. So if you head on over to joinflyingfree.com, it will either be open if you're heading over there between September 28th and October 1st, you can sign up right then. If it's not open when you go to check it out, you'll see a button to get on the waiting list for the next opening. So go ahead and just put your name and email address on there. And when it opens up again in March of 2021, we will send you an email and let you know that it's open. And now here's a testimony from one of our members. Hi, Flying Free has been an amazing support for me in the past three years as I separated uh, not knowing what to do. Flying Free has had courses, many courses that I've taken. I've taken one a month for 12 months, and each one has addressed different areas that I didn't even know should be addressed. Natalie Hoffman keeps digging deeper and deeper into the subject of separation, divorce, emotional abuse, the impact on us physically, mentally, and emotionally. It is a resource that you want in your back pocket or in your front pocket or in your face. Natalie is gentle, soft, yet forward, and she has had the experience, so she knows what we are going through. Maybe not in exactly the same way, 
but she is uh, for us and has developed us uh, a developed a program that if you want to change and if you want to grow, it's available. Natalie has written the book, Is It Me? Um, it's an amazing book. It is extremely thorough. It's in-depth. She has written a um, complimentary workbook to go with it. As I'm going through it uh, with uh, my group facilitating, it has forced me to look at issues that I had set aside, thought they were done, but it's taken me to another layer deeper and forced me to face my issues, forced me to feel my pain, but also helped me to get to the other side. And there you have it. Go check it out at joinflyingfree.com. Hop on the waiting list. It's going to be open September 28th to October 1st, 2020. And after that, it will be open again at the end of March, 2021. Love to have you join us. Now let's get back to our show. I had no idea. No idea. It still baffles me. I had no idea. And so we started meeting with um, separately a counselor that um, the, I don't even know what to call him, soon to be ex picked out and our pastor. And he, like it says in all the books, he used the counselor and pastor to try to get me back in line, um, you know, saying all the right Bible passages, saying everything. Um, I just knew that it wasn't, wasn't sincere. And I fought the establishment on that. Um, then a couple months later, my father passes away um, suddenly. No one knew that I had said I wanted out. So we're like six months later, my father passes away. Um, and I, we go home for the summer, like we always do. And I finally figure out that this counselor is not working for me. I asked the pastor that we were talking to, like, what is going on? I'm like, God, I, I haven't told my pastor, sorry, I haven't told my dad or my family. And now God took my father. I never had to tell my dad. I never had to disappoint him. And to this day, I do believe that he would have disowned me. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. So, and, and all that would have been like, like total spiritual abuse and you can't do this because God hates divorce and whatever. I then find the counselor that I use then for a year, um, because she lived in a different state and we were doing it all online and I was still going back and forth overseas. Um, I did stay home for the, the fall and that's when we kind of have separated, but I knew I was going to go back overseas because my kids were still in boarding school halfway around the world. And, um, let's see. Um, I went back. I knew the minute I went back that it wasn't going to work. And about six months after that, um, my kids, decided they would stay in the U.S. and not go back to boarding school. And I filed for divorce like a week later. And now we're here and still waiting. <laughs> yes. So, okay. Yeah. 
I just had no idea. I just, I find that baffling. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, that's very common though. I mean, how, how can we know? We, we think that this, if that's all, you know, especially when you get married at 20, age 21, how can you know that, that anything is different? Right. And you grow up in church, you know, in the whole submit to your husband and, um, your body's not your own. And I even had my parents tell me that don't ever talk about your marriage problems to anybody. So I never did. And, um, not even the pastor up until I pretty much was forced to. And so you just, sit there and you just try to be a better wife and you pray and you pray and you pray. And it just, it didn't work. Right. <laughs> it just so when, work. when you got, when you separated from him, did thing, did anything get better for you? Did you notice uh, things getting notched down as far as your emotional health or? Um, well, the thing that actually got better for me, I used to have horrible hand pain. Like I had to stop golfing because I could barely hold a club. I could barely carry in a bag of groceries without my hands hurting everything from the time I woke up until the time I went to bed. And I went to doctor after doctor thinking it was lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. And when I told my first counselor, she was like, Robin, that's actually um, your body trying to get rid of all the stress you have been living under. So she gave me some... um, exercises to do just to, to, um, uh, relax, I guess. And that did help. Um, but it wasn't until I filed for divorce that that pain went totally away. Um, the other thing, yeah. Um, so I consider like the, like separating and then I went back and now, you know, filed for divorce. Um, what else got better is that I, can walk into my house and not be afraid, not be afraid of something not being done. Um, I don't have to run home from a friend's house um, just in case I left the dishes in the sink. Um, But the best thing for me is I can walk into my bedroom at night and I am not afraid. That's huge. Huge. That's huge. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So basically you get to be like a grown up adult now. Yeah, I actually can make decisions for myself. Um, You know, sometimes it's hard because I think, oh my gosh, what should I do? What should I do? I don't have anyone to ask. But then I'm like, just calm down, Robin. And it's going to be okay. Whichever way you decide, it's still going to be okay. Yep, yep. And you just learn, you you grow into that skill and you become more and more confident as 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 you get more time under your belt getting out. So I'm wondering if you have any, are there any regrets looking back on all of the whole thing? Is there anything, maybe we could um, combine this too with the, the next question that I had, which is what's something that you learned through this whole process that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? Yeah. So um, overall, I don't regret any of it. Because I think all my experiences from the time I've been born up till now has made me into the person that I am. And I truly like myself. And yeah, it took me a long time, but I am okay with the person I am. I like that. I love people. I like that. I'm friends to people. I like that. I do things for others without expecting anything in return. And 
So I wouldn't change it. I also think too, if you regret what you've been through, then you regret your children. And I absolutely do not Mm -hmm. regret having children with him. I love my kids. Um, So yeah, the only regret that I have in getting out is I wish I was more prepared. And I think just because of the circumstances of where we were living and at that time, because we were so isolated, I needed to leave. But, you know, with other things, I wish I would have like acquired more evidence, let's say, um, watched his phone usage, watched his computer usage, um, and then just documented things before I left. But it was just, it was such a year of turmoil that, that first year. So I do wish that, um, sorry, what was the last thing you asked? Oh, if well, I, just yeah. what, if you could go back and tell your younger self something, what would you tell her? Um, God does love you and he always loved you. And he loved you through all your prayers when he didn't, you didn't think he was listening to you and that I, or well, if I was my younger self telling me that I am such a, or I am a stronger, more intelligent and more beautiful person than I have ever given myself credit for. And just because somebody tells you that you're not doesn't mean it's true. I love that. And that's so important. It's something that so many of us have struggled with our whole lives. And really, this is kind of the process. It's an ugly process, but it has, it yields that result of finally knowing that for for ourselves, for real. There was, there was a plaque I got at um, Hobby Lobby probably a long time ago, um, probably early 2000. And it says, he makes all things beautiful in its time. I got that and hung it in my bathroom because I thought if God would make me more beautiful, my husband would love me more and treat me better. But that's not what that passage means at all. Right. And, you know, I used to pray for these things and God says he answers your prayers. I just didn't know he was answering them in a different way. Like when we lived overseas, my heart became more beautiful in the people that I loved, not the outside of me and more thankful. I used to pray every night. Like I'm thankful for my husband. I'm thankful for the life I live, everything. You know, I learned how to be respectful. I didn't say anything bad about him. And I just think that when you get to that point, like your younger self, don't do that for somebody else. Do it for yourself. And you are beautiful just because God made you. That's it, period. So that's, I guess, what I would tell my younger self. And do you have, that's beautiful. Do you have any advice for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about leaving and maybe scared Um, to death? First, God is not going to hate you. Um, He hates the abuse. He, um, divorce is not always a sin. Um, and to just trust him with everything. Um, I remember when the kids were younger, we lived at this place that had a stream behind the house and my boys love to be outside. And at that point I just had to be like, okay, God, you've got them because I can't 
have my eyes everywhere all the time. So I have to trust that you're going to take care of these kids. And I remember saying that um, probably like a month or so after the divorce and even before that, like, God, you've got to take care of these kids of mine because I don't know how this is all going to work out. Um, but I trust that you're going to do whatever the kids need to have done. And it's kind of like Hannah and Samuel. I just remember that story from the Bible. I give my kids back to you. You are in charge of their life. I'm here to take care of them. Um, so I, I started doing that with everything, finances, my family. Um, I have lost my sister in all of this. Um, I'm sorry. He's yeah, totally against me getting a divorce. Um, but my brothers have stepped up and my mom's come around friends. I've lost friends, you know, but give that all to God. God will show you who your real friends are mm -hmm. and who your real are. Your fake friends are also, and it's okay mm -hmm. to give them up. Yeah. Um, and just that it truly sucks getting out. Um, it's probably the worst thing I've ever had to go through, but it's so worth it. And life is so much better on this side and you will eventually find peace and hope again. And it may not be exactly how you want it to be or picture it, but it'll be so much better. God has this all worked out. He sees around the corners that we can't. Yes. So I just want to thank you for being here and giving us some of your time. I know you're still in the middle of your divorce process and I hope and pray that that ends soon. Cause right before this podcast started, you said you were going to go, what was the word you used? It wasn't insane, but you were going to, you're basically, uh, I was going to have a coronary. Yeah. You were going to have a coronary and I don't want that to happen to you, Robin. So <laughs> I'm really hoping that your divorce gets finalized soon. Yeah. And so thank you. And yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you for everything. Honestly, you are a blessing to so many women. <laughs> well, good. And for the rest of you guys who are listening, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, fly free.